Just a heads up, everyone. This podcast features adults having adult conversations, and there might be the chance of adult language. Also, we may talk about some difficult grieving experiences and themes of mental distress that can trigger some people. If this conversation stirs up some hard emotions for you, please reach out to someone you trust. Hi, I'm Tatiana Rotere, and you are listening to Crazy Grief, the podcast. Grief can make us feel like we're going crazy. It affects our emotions, our physical health, and our mental state. It has a huge impact in the way we relate to people and the way we see ourselves. Crazy Grief is a safe space for us to have candid conversations about grief and all the crazy stuff that comes with it. We are here to share our stories, how we cope with grief, and what kind of help really helps. If you lost your person and you feel like you're going crazy, let me reassure you, you're not going crazy. You're just grieving. So let's talk about it. Hello, my darling. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to this new episode of the Crazy Grief Podcast. Today, I want to talk about something that has been in my mind since I met a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. Um, this friend of mine is beautiful, intelligent, smart, kind, compassionate woman. Um, she lost her brother. And it's been, I think, just over a year. And, you know, it's really fresh still, like one year in the span of a grief journey is just really the very first few steps. Um, a lot of people think that after one year, if you have lost your person, you're going to be fine. And some people probably are doing pretty good, you know, um, But really, one year is a drop in the bucket. And I think I just wanted to first acknowledge that because there's this misconception that after all the firsts, you know, of that first year, there's the first birthday, there's the first Christmas, there's the first anniversary. Then once all of that is um, over, then it's kind of like done and dusted. And... People are going to pick up and come bounce back to normal. And that could not be further from the truth. Yes, that first year is really, really tough. Because, yes, it is the first New Year's Eve without them, the first Christmas, the first birthday, the first anniversary, the first whatever. That is incomparable. Um, but that is not to say that the second anniversary and the second Christmas, you've got it all sorted. And, you know, their absence now is just, mm, you know, you're just not here. It's so not like that. And people, um, for some reason, we bought into this narrative that It takes just one year for people to grieve. And then after that, it's a very sanitized, very clear-cut process. And it's not. And it's not. For some people, the second or the third year, 
that is when things hit you in a different way. And it comes with such force that you thought, whoa, I did not even think that I could be feeling this way three years down the road, four years down the road, five years down the road. Because grief, it ebbs and flows and it morphs and it changes and it just keeps on coming. That's the gift that keeps on giving. I, I don't mean to be sarcastic, but it's true. But anyway, so talking about this beautiful friend of mine, we, got, we caught up for um, a coffee a couple of weeks ago and, and we sat there and I listened to her talk about her brother. But initially what happened was she, it was almost like she was, um, I, I don't know exactly how to put it into words, but trying not to compare her grief with mine. So in the not comparing, she was saying things like, he was just my brother. I didn't lose a child or I didn't lose my husband like you did. And I know that this is so much worse. You know, he was just my brother. But I'm still struggling. Um, but it's still tough. And I should be okay. I should this and I should that. And, and I sat there listening to my friend. And now you can probably hear my dog scratching himself and shaking his collar. So, you know, in this crazy grief podcast, I'm going to hear all sorts of sounds because I do this from my garage. And so if the, um, if the low mower from the neighbor starts going, we're just going to keep going. So back to my friend. What I found sitting there listening to her was a great sense of sadness for this woman that lost her brother and that somehow she was believing in the narrative that her loss was less than somebody else's loss. It was less than her sister-in-law's loss because her sister-in-law lost her husband. It was less than her nephew's loss because they lost their dad. It was less than her mother's loss because her mother lost a son. I think we put those hierarchy of relationship closeness into our um, narrative and somehow we think that because it's not a husband or a child or a parent, that that loss doesn't count. And I, I get where she was coming from. I get it. Because the truth is that there are some people in our lives that losing them is beyond comprehension. I have lost many people in my life, but when I lost my husband, that loss affected me in a much deeper and intense way. I can admit that than when I lost my mother-in-law or my father-in-law or my cousin or my grandma. 
And that's not to say that their losses was just a walk in the park. Oh my God, it was so not. Every single one of them I cherished and I loved and I had a special and unique relationship with each of the people that died in my life. And every loss was really hard. But yes, losing my husband was the most devastating loss for me because he was my husband, because there was so much of our lives that were tied together. Because of him not being here, he was the closest person to me. And I don't even, I can't even imagine what it's like to lose a child. And I'm very fortunate that my children are here. I don't know what, what it is like for a parent to bury their child. And, and I get this, you know, that I can't compare. But what I have come to realize was that in the not comparing, I found myself invalidating my own grief. And it's a little bit like this. Yes, I lost my husband. But somebody that lost a child, oh, it's a much, much, much worse grief. And so I, when I was in the presence of somebody that lost a child, I felt like I couldn't talk about my husband or I couldn't show the emotions and the, the, the stress because their grief was much worse. And I know that there were people that there are people that when they are in my presence, they they struggle to um, I guess own their grief because they say to me, I I only lost my grandparent. It's not like you, it's not like I lost my husband or my wife. There is a there is a truth. And a, and, and a recognition in that because of the closeness of the relationship and the impact that that person's death has in your life, in all the aspects of your life. You know, losing a grandparent probably will not impact your life in a financial way, um, in the same way that losing a husband will. But it's still impacts her life. So going back to my friend, when I was listening to her, I just felt like there is, there is a part of this narrative that is holding her back from grieving her brother. And I don't know if this is the correct um, thing to say, but the word that comes in my mind is grief shame. We are ashamed of our grief because it's, we should have it all together because it's been over a year, because it was just my brother, it was just my grandfather. We minimize rationally our pain. At least we try to do that by the not comparing. So we go rationally, we think, because this person 
was not my husband or my child or, or um, my parent. Um, we just go, well, my grief is smaller and I shouldn't be feeling like this. And I shouldn't um, be putting my grief out there for other people to hear about it. On that note, what I have to say is this. Yes, the person that is most affected by the loss of someone is in the center of this grief tornado. So if it's a child that, you know, lost the parent, if it's a wife or a husband that lost the spouse, if it's a parent that lost a child, yes, definitely. If you are the, the auntie, you know, it's a little bit removed in terms of the closeness of the relationship. It's different than if it's a friend. Yes, it is different because then you are carrying your grief, but the person that is in the center of the tornado, they don't have the capacity to hold your grief for you. What you do need to do, though, is not diminish or deny your grief, is to go to somebody else that is further removed from the person that died and have them as your support person. So don't go to the people that are the most affected by the loss, but at the same time, don't diminish your loss. Go to somebody else that is further removed from that loss, that is in some ways, the effect of that, the death of this person is not as intense for them. And then it's with them that you process your grief. But by all means, you have to process your grief. You have to. Because when we minimize our grief in a rational way, it only exacerbates the pain. The thing about grief is that it really demands us to pay attention. It really requires of us to give it space. And we need to give ourselves permission to grieve. Perhaps you're not going to go to the person that is most affected by the loss and dump your grief on them. That is not right. But you do need to find somebody that will hold that space for you. And I'll give you this example with my friend. She's sitting there and she was talking about her brother. And I could tell that there was just so much grief that was bottled up. And I remember looking at her and feeling so much compassion for her and saying something in the lines of, you know, yes, you do um, need to be strong for your sister-in-law and for your mom and for your nephews. But you also need to acknowledge that there is a sister that lost a brother. And she was older than him. And so I just start talking to her, you know, he's been in your life for all of his life. When he was inside your mother's tummy, you know, you were being prepared as a little girl to be a big sister. You were being prepared to think about somebody else other than you 
perhaps for the first time in your life because you're the center of your parents' life and then all of a sudden your brother is coming and you need to be a big sister and you need to share your toys and you need to share your parents and you need to share your room or whatever it is. This little boy became a big part of your formative years and your whole life he was your brother. And so give the sister that lost her brother permission to grieve the loss of her brother. You don't need to compare with your sister-in-law losing her husband, and so your grief is less, or you didn't lose a child like your mom, so your grief is less. Just within yourself, accept and embrace your grief. It's, it, it, it's a little bit like this pain that we carry, this emotional pain that the grief brings up for us. It's showing us that something's out of order. If you step on a nail and, you know, now you have a nail stuck on your foot, of course the pain is going to shoot and you're going to do something about it, right? You're going to remove the nail. You might need to go to the doctor. You might need to get a tetanus injection, you might need to put some bandages on, put, take some painkiller. You need to actually do something to tend to that pain. Because if you do nothing, I know it sounds ridiculous, but just think about it. If you do nothing and you walk around with a nail stuck on your foot and you pretend that, you know, it's not there or it's there, but I'm just going to hide it. I'm going to put my shoe and I'm going to walk normally and I'm just going to carry on. And the nail's there, the pain is there, but you're just putting mind over matter and you're thinking, I'm not going to deal with this because a nail on my foot is much less than somebody that lost their foot. You wouldn't do that would you? Because that would be ridiculous. Well, and also because pain, that pain on your foot with that nail, it's just a sign that something is out of the natural order. So you have to pay attention to it. You have to tend to it. The problem with grief is that nobody sees the nail stuck on your foot. And you just think that because it's emotional pain, because it's been over a year, because that person wasn't, you know, your husband or your child, <laughs> then it makes your pain irrelevant. And you, I think people feel like they need to conquer their grief or they need to get a handle on it. I don't like language like that because grief is not something to be conquered or solved or resolved or even medicated. Grief is not pathology and grief is not something that can be fixed. There is no way out of grief but through it. And there is no moving on from grief. There is only moving with it. 
You can choose not to move, of course. But if you choose to move and continue building your life, you got to learn to carry it with you and not ignore it and not suppress it and not numb it. Because grief calls our attention to feel, to acknowledge something's out of the natural order, like a nail stuck on your foot. Something's out of natural order here and it needs space and attention to be put right. So one of the things that we try to do is to squash grief and to push it down and to soldier through it because we don't like that grief highlights a lot of pain and traumas that have already been there, buried for some time. And it can be really discombobulating when you go, why is it that I lost my friend or I lost my brother or, and, and, and I'm feeling like this, something is wrong with me. Yeah, something is wrong with you. Something is out of order because a person that was significant to you is no longer here. And their death triggers other issues that have been there before. For me, when Jason died, a lot of abandonment issues and rejection issues came to the surface. I was angry. I was angry at him because he died. And I know it wasn't his fault. I know he didn't choose that. But I felt abandoned. And I used to think about what is wrong with me? Why can I not just push through this, move on, you know? And it wasn't until I decided, and thank God that was really early on in my grief journey that I decided I'm going to sit with this pain and I'm going to feel it all. And I don't care if people think that I am just hurting myself or if, I, or if they think that I want to be stuck in my grief. I don't care what other people think because the truth is, it's my grief. And I'm going to give myself permission to grieve however it is the grief shows up for me each day. So when I was talking to my friend, I said to her, you know, I'm going to, write you a permission slip. You need to give yourself permission to grieve. And then until you do that, I'm giving you permission to grieve your brother and figure out how you need to do that. Figure out who are the people in your life that can hold space for you. And it might not be your mom. It might not be your sister-in-law. It might not even be your husband because he's also affected in different ways. I'm here as your friend, and it's a privilege to hear your grief story. So what is it that you actually need to grieve your brother? I'm here. I'm available. What do you need right now? And she said to me that she wanted to tell stories about her brother. And it was too painful for her to see pictures of him, to listen to a song that he liked, to talk about those memories of him with her family because they were not ready or in a space that they could hold that for her 
And I was like, well, I'm here. Tell me a story about him. And she did. And it was a beautiful story. And in that story, it was the story of how he died, of how grateful she was that she was able to be there when, you know, throughout the illness. And she was able to be there together with her family in that room when he took his last breath. She was able to be there holding her nephew, you know, on one side and putting her brother's arm around that little boy. God, I can't even think about how that was so difficult for that child. She was really full of gratitude. And she starts saying about how, how blessed and lucky she was to be able to have those last moments with her brother. And that she knew that so many people didn't get that. She knew I didn't get that because I had to show up and see my husband's body and I didn't get to say goodbye. And in all of that beauty and all of that gratitude, I remember saying to her, I'm so, um, I'm so happy for you. I know the happy is not the right word, but I'm so happy for you that you had the chance to have such a beautiful send-off to your brother and, and be there present for, for him until his last moment on this earth. But the truth is, it's also horrible. It's great. It's amazing that she sees the beauty and the gratitude and the love in all of that. And it's great that she has those really tender memories of him. But it's also awful that she had to hold her nephew close to her brother's dying body. And it's also horrible that she had to see him taking his last breath. The beauty does not negate the horrendous stuff that came with it. And the terror doesn't negate the loveliness of it. It is all together. And when we make space for that, when we make space to say, I am sad and I'm angry because this is out of order, because I shouldn't have to hold my nephew close to my brother's dying body. I shouldn't have that. That is horrible. Forget about the dog. But the truth is that was really, really hard and really, really painful. And at the same time, really, really lovely and really, really beautiful. It could be all together. It can be all together. And when we make space for, for that to exist in all that messiness, then we can still make space for our humanity in that grief. And we can give ourselves permission to be in the middle of that mess, to have the gratitude and also the sadness, to have the anger and also the, the lovely memories. It's all a mess together. And that's okay. And it's okay that in the middle of all of that, other stuff that has been buried deep down comes to the surface. 
But then what are we going to do with all that stuff that comes to the surface? Because for many of us, what we try to do is to push it down again and again and again. And we try in different ways and we try with coping mechanisms that often leave us, yeah, just even more fragmented. One of the things that happened for this friend of mine about a week after our catch-up, her best friend's father passed away. And she went to the funeral. And she had grown up with that friend. So her best friend's, her best friend's father was um, somebody that was really significant for her and her family as well. Her dad took the funeral. Their families were really, really close. And she said that she just waited at the funeral for people to leave before she could talk to her friend um, because there were many people there wanting to talk to him. And she just waited and waited. And when she came to him, she said to him, you know, I want to I wanna tell you about this memory I had about your dad that at that time in my life, when I was, you know, my early adult life or my, you know, teenage life, I had to make some decisions and your dad gave me some guidance and, and he listened to me and, and this is what he did. And, and that conversation really impacted my life. And, and I just feel really grateful to have known your dad. And she started sharing with her friend her you know, her love for his father. And her friend said to her, you are the first person today that talked to me about my dad, that talked to me about memories about my father. And she said that she listened to that and she went, what the heck were other people saying to, to my friend? They are at his funeral. What were people saying to him? You know, and, and she was a little discombobulated by that. And she saw how her friend was really grateful that she was able to talk about his dad. And then almost immediately she said to me that um, her friend start not comparing or diminishing his grief. Again, that grief shame because he said, you know, my dad was really elderly and I shouldn't be feeling like this because his time had come and he was really old and, and it's not like your brother. You know, your brother was still young and he still had two children and, and it's not like your brother. And so I don't want to compare my loss with yours. And she said in that moment, she remembered our conversation. And she talked to him about giving himself permission to grieve and not comparing, but really owning his grief, not allowing this shame of a lesser loss to rob him from really grieving his dad. And I thought that was really incredible. 
Because what that shows me is that when we give ourselves permission to grieve, then we open up space for other people to grieve well as well. We are all carrying a lot of grief. Some of our grief is not because somebody has died, but because we were bullied when we were kids. Some of it is because we lost a job. Some of it is because we, we were diminished in front of people that we cared about. Some of it's because we might still be married, but our marriage is no longer a place of safety or a place of thriving. We might be feeling the loss of our health, of dreams that we had that we can't no longer pursue. We're all grieving in some way or another. And I think it's really appropriate to recognize that every grief is different. But I think that shaming our own grief or diminishing our own grief does nobody any favor. I think it's the opposite. I think that when we don't give ourselves permission to grieve and when we shame ourselves for grieving, we end up shaming other people. It might be unconscious, but we do that because we're trying so hard to be good, to do the right thing, whatever that right thing is, to deny the feelings that grief is calling us to pay attention to. We do so much of it, then even without thinking or being aware, we put that burden on other people too. And, and that is not okay. But when we create space for our grief, when we acknowledge it, when we sit with it, when we find the right people that can support us to listen to our stories, to witness our tears, then we get back in touch also with our humanity. And when we do that, we make space for other people's humanities to show up, even when it's really messy. And then we don't actually have to fix anything. We can just be humans that are hurting together, trying to get through the day, trying to figure out what is it that I need right now in this moment and honoring ourselves? When we do that for ourselves, we can show up for other people. And that to me, that's a grief revolution. I think we need that. I think we need to make space for grief. I think we need to re-examine the narratives, the stories that we have bought into about grief, about pain, about trauma. And I don't say that in a way of just, you know, 
let's all just recycle our traumas and keep on reliving them and, and never um, finding a way out of it or using them as excuses for a bad behavior. It's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is look into your pain, figure out what is it that you need to do to give it space. Figure out how do you take that nail out of your foot and what is it that you need to do to get back into alignment, to allow it to heal, to allow it to, yeah, to heal. Even though grief is not something that we heal from because it's not a disease, there's a lot of trauma that grief brings up. So we, we do need to find ways to heal those things. And when we do, then we start realizing that our grief also becomes our gift. When we make room for our grief, boy, we make room for life as well. We do. And I can tell you this from experience. I think it's important to find the right people that can hold the space for you though. Not everyone is capable or willing to hold the weight of your grief. Find those who can and bring yourself fully to that without shaming yourself for grieving. So, this is it for today. Um, I would love to hear from you. <clears throat> I would love to encourage you to examine and, and, and really be honest with yourself. Where are the places in your life that you are not allowing yourself to grieve and how can you make space for yourself and how can you validate your own grief how can you validate your own experience we think that doing that is um, a pity party we think that doing that is weakness i think that doing that's the first step into courage because for me Vulnerability is courage. Feeling all the feelings without trying to fix what is unfixable, boy, that requires courage. So take a, take a step towards courage today for yourself. And yeah, and if you want, reach out and let me know how you did that. I would love to hear from you. Light and peace. We have come to the end of our episode. And I want to acknowledge you, my darling, who have been listening to this conversation. Thank you so much for your time and your attention. Chances are you found crazy grief because you are grieving the death of your person 
or you want to support someone who is grieving. I am so sorry our paths have crossed in this way, but I am glad we found each other. My email is on the show notes. Please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Do subscribe to this podcast and leave us a five-star rating so we can continue to produce more meaningful conversations about grief. And remember, you're not going crazy. You're just grieving. Take a moment to breathe, reach out to someone you trust, and be kind to yourself. Light and peace.